Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2023. My name is Amato, son of Adam, and with me is... Tori. Neither son nor daughter, so I a child of... Whoever. Aslan. (laughs) (laughs) Child of Aslan's a good one. Yeah. That's a good gender neutral one. Right. Aslan, I mean, I know we use he, him pronouns for Aslan, but like, come on, he's a fucking lion. Right. No, that's fair. Uh, He's a fucking lion who's also God, so, you know. Yeah. Um, Works for me. I mean, probably if you were going to start talking to um, to C.S. Lewis about this, then, you know, probably everyone's a child of Aslan, like in Narnia and such. And that doesn't mean they're a son of Adam slash daughter of Eve in the sense that, like, Christianity cares about or whatever. But, right. But I think it sounds right. Well, yeah. And it it's, yeah, it's almost like saying, like, child of God versus, right. you know, child of Adam or Eve. And, like, at that point, you're you're just... Splitting hairs? Splitting hairs, No, yeah. you're totally right. In fact, you're, you're taking one step up above, right? <laughs> Closer to the top. Uh, right. Thanks for joining me today, Tori. Mm-hmm. We needed to get some episodes of talking about fan fiction. Right. And um, I, I guess I can just jump right into what we're doing today, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. We've done Yuletide fanfics before. Do you remember what Yuletide is? It's a pop quiz. Yeah. So as far as I recall, because I've been quizzed on this before, <laughs> it's like um, a you know, holiday thing where fanfic writers write a story that someone else requested, or at least in a fandom that someone else requested. That's my understanding. And so they tend to be short and they tend to be unpopular fandoms that people aren't just writing stories for all the time. Mm. Like, I mean, I don't think it has to be necessarily. But like, hence the request, right? Right. Like, it's an opportunity for someone to be like, I really want to see, I don't know, fanfic of... Uh, I can't even think of something unpopular right now. Uh, but <laughs> well, I mean, here's an example: Beetlejuice, right? I, I was looking yeah, for okay. Beetlejuice fanfics for a while, and all I found were really terrible ones based on the cartoon. Mm. Um, Street Sharks. I can't. I really want to see fanfic go. of Street Sharks. You yeah. need to put in that request. Um, <laughs> the last story we did from a Yuletide was the Last Rites of Wednesday Adams, the Adams family story. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, while I was doing my fanfic research, I stumbled on a rec list. And I love a good rec list because it, you know, uh, it takes some of the work off of my plate. Yeah. You and don't have to read 800 fanfics just to find one good one. No, someone else did that for me. <laughs> In this case, on the Rec-A-Day Live Journal community, I found a post from December oh, December 25th, Christmas. Um, always Christmas and ne- no, always winter, never Christmas. Always Christmas, uh, never Yuletide. Always Yuletide, never no, I don't know. <laughs> uh, right. Anyway, poster Aishu made a post Yuletide Picks, December 25th, 2007. And they wrote, over 2,000 fix posted for Yuletide this year, and I've already gone through most of the ones which are in my fandoms or series I particularly enjoy. Listed below are what I enjoyed. And, you know, 2007, that's 20, not 20 years ago. That's like uh, 16 years ago now, you know? It is. That's retro. It's retro enough. Yeah, we've slowly been moving the marker up. I started out at like 2005 being my cutoff. Mm -hmm. That was when we started the podcast. But that's, we started started the podcast podcast in in, 2018. That's right. So I'm layering it all retro. And this person listed the last rites of Wednesday Adams as a, um, you know, one of their recs. And there's a bunch of other things. Uh, 
yeah, the, the Beetlejuice one on here is what reminded me of it, but also Chronicles of Narnia. And that one grabbed me for today mm-hmm. because we did read one Narnia fanfic technically. Yeah, the Narnia Labyrinth crossover, which I think we were all... We were so excited. Oh, yeah. And so let down. Like, sorry, that sounds mean to the author, but there were, we had some issues. The premise was so good and the execution was not what we wanted as readers. Indeed. And I mean, I think part of that is it's, it wasn't really our style. It had a heavy religious overtone, which, you know, I guess you could expect from Narnia, but it also um, ended up pairing like, Sarah Jareth. With, well, yes, yeah, Sarah Jareth was probably the most egregious Priest one. and Susan was less objectionable. <laughs> yeah, but it was also super weird. Um, um, yeah. So I, I decided we're, we're going to read a couple stories from this reckless from 2007 Yuletide. But I decided we'd start with Narnia because I, I thought Narnia needed another chance here. Yeah. And... It's been a while since we talked about it, Tori, but like you were a Narnia kid as a kid, right? Like you read all the books? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I had this like uh, probably like Penguin published box set of them mm-hmm. since I was, I don't know, I want to say five years old or something when I started reading, you know, books of that kind of like length and wordiness. Um, Though they made Magician's Nephew number one. That makes me so angry. You know, it does, but I actually had a conversation about this recently, and it's like, technically, it's not the first written book, but it is the first chronologically. That doesn't matter. That so doesn't matter. You are supposed to go into The Magician's Nephew with the knowledge of, at the very least, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because, like, there's some mystery in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is not like, oh, this is that world that that lion made, and this is that, like, witch that came from that other world. You're not supposed to know that. That's supposed Mm -hmm. to be, like, you know, filling in discovery backstory. Yeah, that is absolutely fair. But, yeah, that's how I read them. I read The Magician's Nephew first, so I I guess I don't have enough context to be, like, what you're supposed to know, because that was my experience. Well, you know what? Here's my thing about Narnia is that I distinctly remember The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. And I remember The Magician's Nephew very clearly. I probably read other ones, because why wouldn't I have? But I don't really remember them, except maybe a vague impression of uh, the the final battle, the Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. What's the name of the last book? Isn't it called The Last... No, it's not called The Last Unicorn. Uh, (laughs) No, it has the unicorn on the cover. The Last Battle. The Last Battle. Yeah. I feel like I have a vague impression of the last battle, but that's about it. And I don't know. I don't know if that was like which ones I had on hand as opposed to like being from the library or if I just like seriously like skipped Prince Caspian or something for no reason. I I just don't know. Here's the thing. There's two books around Prince Caspian. One's like the Prince Caspian, the silver chair. Mm -hmm. And the other one's the Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Right. I get those completely mixed up. Like One, one has a boat. I know, but like I can't remember like specific. Honestly, I hardly remember specific events from those books. Like when was I read them several times in my youth, but like when was the last time I read them? Probably when I was still an actual child, like right. you know, twelve years old, maybe at the latest. And yet, you're not a Christian. And yet, it they didn't work. Yes, Lewis, let's go back to the drawing board. <laughs> well, hilariously enough, I think, uh, well, I was probably about 13, 14 when I became agnostic because they asked me to be confirmed in Catholicism and I had to take confirmation classes. 
And the guy, the deacon leading them was like, um, oh, yeah, the pope is infallible. And I was like, so you literally believe this guy cannot make a mistake? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, so explain to me how that works. And he he didn't have an answer. That's so crazy. And that was where I went like, never mind. <laughs> not my Not my thing. I mean, look, no comment on any modern popes that have lived in my lifetime. But like... There have been some real terrible, corrupt, horrible popes. And it's just like a, a matter of record. Like you can't you just are, can't are, are some, are some yeah. of them retroactively not infallible? Does, I don't know. Does a future pope get to decide actually that guy was a piece of shit? Because that would at least make more sense. No, I mean apparently not. I mean, at least not according to the deacon who led my confirmation oh, yeah. classes. I mean, whatever, right? I'm sure some Catholics are better. No, I'm not. I'm not sure of that. But uh, yeah, well, being raised in Catholicism. Yeah, what I ugh. do know about a lot of Catholics is that there's a lot of very intellectual Catholics who take their doctrine very seriously. And by which I mean in a measured, like philosophical, like kind of working out all of these, you know, implications kind of way. So I'm yes. sure, you know, us yahoos talking about uh, the Chronicles of Narnia right now are <laughs> probably not putting forth the best arguments. Well, and also C.S. <laughs> Lewis was not a Catholic. Right. Uh, Lutheran, I want to say. I can't honestly remember. Um, he or Tolkien were Church of England, right? But I forget which oh, one. Oh, yes. Well, that's, I don't know, maybe not the most important point. <laughs> no, because neither of those real life religions involve lions breathing on you. And therefore, we we should probably move into Narnia, right? Yeah. Much better. Like, if I had to pick a branch of a uh, denomination of Christianity, I'd definitely pick the Church of Aslan. Well, that one did exist as a denomination in the other fanfic we read. <laughs> well, Re sort of. Refugees it was like, from Narnia established yeah. like their own, you know, little communities and religious practices, right? Am I misremembering? I guess that's true. Yeah. I was just thinking about how the priests explain that like Aslan is god or he explained like god looks different in different realms or something but mm. and that it was more like multi-denomination but you're right that did happen so right but it's this the father the son and the lion i'm pretty sure exactly uh, no wait no he's the father no, no wait he's, he's, he's uh, the son. right uh okay okay let, uh, let's let's move away from actual christianity because <laughs> here's the main point we've got this story cry for yesterday which I'm assuming is a reference to uh, the song Ordinary World by Duran Duran, right? I mean, it sounds like it is, yeah. Right. I, I won't cry for yesterday. I would hope so, because I like that song. It's a great song. It is by A Thousand Winds. It was written for Yuletide 2007 for Google Brat, which I also want to say, great handle. I know. How do you get that handle? Like I, Inspiration. That's, that's a good handle. It's great. Um... It is just short of 2,000 words long, or 2,000 words short. And we will, of course, provide a link to the AO3 posting, uh, which is uh, apparently the main one that's up online now, um, in the show notes. And this, the two-sentence summary is, Susan finds it hard to cope with normal life. Lucy just doesn't want to. And this is one of those stories where um, this this interest in this in this genre of fiction with children going into other fantasy worlds, mm -hmm. I find a lot of people who are usually not the original authors who grew up with these works find it very, very interesting to look at them afterwards. You haven't 
you haven't happened to read the um what, what's the name of the series um uh, the wayward children series by sean and mcguire have you no but i've i've heard of it well sean and mcguire is a great genre author and fanfic writer and one of her series is is um it's basically about a boarding school for children who have come back from traumatic other world experiences like this and have to deal with it. And like, for the most part at this particular school, people are kind of hoping that someday they'll be able to go back and maybe they will and maybe they won't. But for whatever right. reason, they went to Narnia or to Oz or to, you know, whatever other world, uh, Wonderland, depending. Mm -hmm. And like... There's this whole cosmology of where all those sorts of worlds fall and things, but it's it's at least the original book is kind of about what's that experience like once you get through it. Yeah, I mean that's great, and that's you know that's exactly what this writer wanted to talk about as well. And you know something I was thinking about is you know obviously with Narnia it's really fruitful ground because they grew into adults and then had to revert to children. I never thought about it as horrifying as this fanfic. Did. Like even in the other fanfic we read, where it's like, oh yeah, Susan went to Narnia and she came back and now she's in the real world and the rest of her family died slash went to Narnia. Mm -hmm. And that's all tough. But I didn't even I didn't even kind of think out, I didn't even return to that idea that like they had a life and then came back and had another life. Yeah, living all over again. Like, my God. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's where my brain goes first. But then there's also this other component that you pointed out talking about a shot on McGuire, is that Sean and McGuire, yeah. Sean and McGuire. Uh, about those books is like, regardless of whether someone lived a full life in a, a ikisai, ikisai, <laughs> isekai. Isekai. Though I think Della might. Isekai. I, I, I think uh, Della has like a firmer idea of what isekai is. Yeah, no, no. Something is or is not an isekai. I was just being a bit silly. <laughs> I think in isekai, generally, you don't go through as yourself. You're like reborn in some other like life. <sighs> That makes I sense. think that's more common. Well, yeah. Any well, you know what? That's something we can talk about later. That's actually right. Really interesting. But regardless, like someone who goes to a fantasy world usually has a cathartic experience, and often it's one of belonging. Like they're <laughs> misfits in the world they come from. Oh, that's that's what the wayward children books are all about, yeah. right? And then you throw them it's back like in a place for them, right? And then, like, sure, they have this journey of self discovery. Like, I'm cool with being who i am i'm glad i'm a misfit then you throw them back into the world where they are a misfit <laughs> like, right so that's a part of this story too yeah well there's there's multiple things about this story it basically takes place um close to christmas which is a fraught time for the pensive children what's pevensey pevensey i can never get it right that's all right you can say isekai and i can say pevensey <laughs> Right, between the two of us, we'll get it all done. <laughs> so it's close to Christmas with the Pevensey children, and they're just kind of hanging out, you know, looking out the window, because this is before video games and cell phones. Um, and actually, Peter's out for the first part of it, so it's just Susan and Lucy and Edmund talking. Mm -hmm. And then later on, Peter comes back, and, like, the parents are sort of around in the background. But it's it's what you might call a bottle episode on a sitcom, right? It's, like, basically one set, the Pevensey's house— it's kind of like a, a fairly uninterrupted period of time, and it's mostly about the characters talking to each other. Yeah. Like, this, what, takes place over a couple of hours yeah. in an evening. Right. Like, there's a little bit of a jump, you know, and um, I think they have dinner, 
and Lucy gets upset and then they're going to bed and then they have a talk. But like mostly, yeah, there's enough, there's just enough time for uh, Peter to come back from his date, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, his arranged date right, that his set mother up set his up. Parents, yeah. But it all starts with like Lucy saying she wished it would snow. And I feel like this is this, this kind of like incredible setup for how the characters are going to act because uh, Susan says you don't want it to snow because it's too early, we'll just end up with a lot of slush. And Lucy's like, I don't care. Um, and Edmund's like, you would care if you had to deal with the thaw. And Lucy's like, well, none of us has, none of us has to do that now. <laughs> and it, that's just because Peter's out, right? So these three children having this, or gosh, I don't even know if we can call them children. That's, that's a question. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, is your reading of this that they are in any way mentally back like younger than they were when they were, you know, kings and queens. Or I, I guess, I, okay, I guess there's kind of two parts of this. Mm-hmm. In some ways, they don't necessarily feel like 35 year olds in this no, story. No, no. Or, or, or whatever they were supposed to have been, right? So might that be because they didn't, like, their, their process of maturation in Narnia was kind of different than it would be in the real world? Or that, like, they they kind of have all their years of experience, but they're back in child brains? Or, like, are we just not supposed to read either of those? I, I'm not certain. Well, I think that is, like, kind of a tension that the author is pointing mm-hmm. to, because this is kind of the crux of Lucy's problem, is that she's lived What extent is she a child, and to what extent is she an right. adult? And she doesn't really understand, but, like, there are elements, like, again, in this first scene... Um, Lucy's saying, like, it's not Christmas if, it's, if it doesn't snow, right. you know? And then Susan um, says it's Christmas when it doesn't. And then Lucy um, has like an envious sigh because Susan has this uh, sort of sulky kind of beauty, as her mother <laughs> said. Um, it would be nice to look like Susan, especially when one didn't have archery and politics and banquets for distraction. Being a queen was better than being beautiful, but it was hard not to be either. So like you can take this as maybe this is how an adult might feel. It's not like as maybe. grown-ups, we don't get envious of other people's True. looks. And But I also think there's another layer is that Lucy's envious of how Susan's developing into a woman. And like Lucy remembers being a full-grown woman. Right. And Lucy also feels like Susan is struggling less than she is being mm-hmm, back, mm-hmm. which is not necessarily fair when we see things from Susan's perspective. True. But but like that's the impression that one gets with like Susan kind of remaining calm and not, you know, not being as verbally like unhappy about the situation so much and that kind yeah. of thing. And being a little older and therefore in some ways getting a certain amount of adult respect. That's a double edged sword as oh, well, yeah. as we will see. It's a big part of this. <laughs> And, you know, I was going to say about this line that, like, despite that, it it sounds a little childish. But now that I think about it, like, I think especially in that moment, um, there's this element of, um, yeah, the tension the fanfic wants us to draw our wants to draw us to is like the roles they have to play in the world that they're right. in now, which are very in, different. From and in the many roles cases, they because in. they've been assigned to them. You know, as as per like Peter is the oldest and he is unattached and his mom is trying to set him up with a date slash, right. you know, marriage probably. And it's a long term plan, um, even though he's like even still in school. And despite the fact that he apparently is not particularly interested, 
Um, And for Susan, we'll get back to, but it's a big thing. And in terms of Lucy in particular, Lucy being the central character here, her characterization is really cool. And um, Susan, Susan's thoughts at some point, she's thinking that Lucy grew up as the youngest when they were here on Earth. And so to some extent, she was like the one who was babied and catered to. And then she was royalty. Mm-hmm. And so that's been her whole life is like being the most important person in the room who like, you know, gets to gets to be kind of a little bit whiny and like other people just kind of have to deal with it. That's like that's the role she's always had. She's never had anything else. And so 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 maybe you're right. Like maybe that's what a 35 year old with Lucy's personality and life experiences like that's just how yeah. they act. Well, because, yeah, like you mentioned, she, yeah, we're not familiar as an audience with what it would be like to grow up from a young age as a queen, right? So, yeah, like, and, and, well, you basically said it. Susan points it out. She's been pampered in a way her life, at least from Susan's perspective. Right. Now, there's a lot of great dialogue here mm-hmm. i i know you were tempted you said you in your notes you basically just wrote the whole fanfic because like it's it's I very mean, dense and it's very well written i think it's short and i wanted to pull all these quotes and i yeah i just found myself trying to quote the whole thing because it, there's so many good moments it's kind of a non-stop uh train of good moments here so here's like a sequence that i would say that kind of like is getting at everybody to some extent Peter comes back into the room while they're talking and everybody stands up and kind of bows or curtsies or whatever mm-hmm. out of reflex because they have like these kind of royal manners stamped into them. And let's see, Susan comments that their parents would understand why they're so polite all of a sudden. You get used to it, don't you, Edmund says, said, shrugging his shoulders. You address everyone as my lord and my lady for years and then it seems wrong not to say it. One can get used to anything, Lucy said. Her voice was so odd that Susan got up again solely to put her arms around her. Only I can't now. Perhaps it's just that I'm old and set in my ways. Lou, Peter began. He looked extremely uncomfortable. But I don't feel old at all. Don't any of you feel like that? I don't care if you don't. Tell me you do. And Lucy was crying now, great choking sobs that made her body shake violently. Susan cuddled her and kissed her hair until Lucy pushed her away so hard she almost fell off the ottoman. Peter jumped up, snatching at Lucy's small arm, but Edmund stayed where he was on the floor, his eyes gone dull and terribly sad. And it, go- it goes on from there. Yeah. But, like, Peter as this uncomfortable peacemaker, mm-hmm. Lucy as the one who's kind of, like, acting out or complaining verbally, uh, and Susan trying to comfort because that's kind of her role, and Edmund, in some ways, kind of, like, feeling... Uh, he seems like the one who's most comfortable just behind being quietly miserable. Oh, later, yes. later on, he's the one who's going to relate best to Lucy. He's just not talking about it as much, <laughs> right? I mean, this is like kind of, I think, really good characterization for mm-hmm. the roles we see them play in the books. And it's funny because exactly what we were talking about, this tension of are they in some way children again, you know, mentally speaking. And, like, there's still a tension because Lucy's, you imagine her as a reader, you imagine her as a small child. They highlight that her small arm, you know, that she's just flinging herself around and throwing this tantrum. But you could also imagine her 
as an adult, just having a really extreme reaction to trauma. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And yeah. I, I mean, some people kind of can absorb a little bit more and, mm-hmm. you know, with different effects than others. Well, and she was in Narnia from the youngest age, which means like she had more of her life in Narnia than mm-hmm. any of them did. I mean, they were all young, but like... No, you're right. I hadn't thought about that angle in those words either. But yeah, mo- yeah. most of her life, uh, well, all of mo- most of all their lives, but proportionately even more of her life. Right. Like some of them were pubescent at the time or even I think Peter was maybe like 14 or like some people, some of the kids were pubescent or post pubescent even. Lucy was not. She was like, what, eight? Mm-hmm. Less than that, maybe? So, yeah, like her, her experience is much more impacted by her time in Narnia, I would say. Mm-hmm. Even just in terms of cognitive development. Following up from that scene, you're right, there's a little bit of a time skip, like they kind of get through the evening mostly, but then Edmund kind of goes to talk to Lucy, who's shut up in her room a little bit later on. I'm jumping ahead just slightly. Obviously, I'm not jumping ahead that far because the fanfic is so short that like, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But we kind of get their philosophies there. Um, Lucy has, obviously, Lucy's in pain because of the loss of freedom and the loss of people she can actually talk about her life to. Edmund mentions that he talked to Professor Kirk about it, who's like from Mm -hmm. the other books, right? Um, But... Lucy doesn't have anyone besides her siblings. And Edmund shares his theory that, like, them growing up in Narnia was supposed to be a sort of test run for real life to show, like, what kind of people they can be if they stay, like, you know, true and good. And Lucy at first vehemently denies that because it's a real world that, like, shouldn't have been a test run for anything. But Edmund basically just says, like, that's the only way I can frame it to deal with it. Like, that's the only thing that makes sense for me to explain why Aslan would have put us through that and then taken it all away. Right. And that's in response to Lucy saying that I don't like it here at all. Mm -hmm. Literally, she does not like being here. She doesn't (laughs) want to be here. And um, Edmund starts that sentence off by saying, growing up is supposed to hurt. And that's when he's, Mm -hmm. yeah, proposes the theory is like, it seems like a rationalization. It's well, like he admits that too. It's like right. she she says wasn't a little early in the conversation. Wasn't Narnia real enough? I cried and I laughed and and I loved people and people died there. Wasn't that real? Don't be stupid, Lou. Edmund closed his eyes. Of course it was real. It just it's not so bad that way. Yeah, like. If he rationalizes it, it's not doesn't feel as bad, right. I guess. That, yeah. And that's it. Like you gotta do something mentally. And L- Lucy doesn't have a rationalization, which is part of, you know, the problem here. Like yeah. she's not able to say, like, oh, well, it was for the greater good, or like, mm-hmm. oh, well, this is this is why that would have happened. It just feels like cruel, arbitrary destruction of her entire life, which it, you know, was. Yeah. I mean, I, I think in like the way this fanfic frames it and probably the only way I could think of it too is like, yes, that's true. Like there's no real, like this fanfic does not come to a conclusion about the reason for this. In fact, it seems like all the siblings have a, well, I mean, I don't know if Peter ever says anything about it, but. Peter's very sidelined. Yes, he really is. But that's fine because he's boring. yeah i mean you know he's just in fact i mean i kind of feel like i remember that 
from him in the books, like as the like not maybe not in the first one, but like as they get older, like he's more and more just like he's the older sibling, he's the main king, and everybody listens to him. And it's reflected in this, like they bow when he comes in because he's the high, highest ruler. That's about all they do. Mm-hmm. And they talk about him, but he doesn't speak a lot. What they do say is that, like, uh, I think Edmund says, um, well, there's something about how he must be under a lot of stress. And Edmund's like, well, I mean, like, having to finish his school finals is just not as stressful as running Relating. an entire kingdom. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of all that's really said about Peter. One gets the impression that he is dutifully going along doing all the things that he's mm-hmm. supposed to be doing in this new life. Right. And like probably that is taking a lot of his attention probably because it's very hard to do. Like I mean just mentally emotionally, right? I'm sure it is, but <laughs> we really don't get any perspective from him. Right. From others, which is fine. But yeah, of the other 3, they they all have different perspectives of, you know, what the purpose of of Narnia was and we kind of got Edmunds and Lucy's, but I think after that, we kind of get Susan. And Susan's and... is the coolest part of this story. Oh my gosh. And it's so intense. It's like... really, it's a really cool reading of Susan because everyone has to grapple with Susan when you're mm-hmm. writing Narnia fanfic. Mm-hmm. Because as, as came up with the other story we read, she's the one who doesn't get to go back to Narnia. Right. And all C.S. Lewis, he kind of just writes her off. He's like, ah, oh, she got into makeup and stuff and, you know like forgot about Narnia and uh, she doesn't get salvation. And like, that's not super satisfying as a reader. No, it's terrible and (laughs) extremely misogynistic. Not great. And so everyone has to deal with it. But the way this author does, I think I like the most, like a lot more than, you know, Neil Gaiman's, you know, reading on it and like the problem of Susan and all that kind of thing. And it kind of comes in two parts. The first part is... Lucy, having been comforted by Edmund, comes down, apologizes to Susan for, like, shoving her so hard she almost banged her head. Susan shook her head, her eyes downcast. Peter gave her a sharp look. Don't, Lucy, it was my fault. I won't talk about Narnia anymore. No, said Lucy, half angrily. That's not what I... It's better this way, Susan said, looking up quite suddenly. She was smiling with self-conscious bravery, the way nurses did in films about the war. If something hurts, it's better to get rid of it and live one's life without it. You don't mean that, Lucy said, and for one awful moment Peter thought she was going to start crying again. You can't think of Narnia like that. I don't, Susan said, the courage swiftly dying out of her face. But isn't it better to think like that than to brood over it all? I don't like myself when I do that. And like, that's the first part of this perspective. Well, and that, well, and it's not, oh God. Well, first of all, I just want to point out, yeah, like, the awful moment when Peter thought she's going to start crying again. Like, that's another, like, tidbit of characterization yeah. we get from Peter is, like, he's literally afraid that his little sister's going to cry. Like, yeah. But, well, yeah, we don't get a lot from We him, don't get a lot but... of reasons about, like, whether he's just feeling super, super conflict-averse. Right. Whether he's a conflict-averse person in general or whether it's more like he just can't deal with this. He just... Like, he, he's probably got enough going, enough turmoil in his own probably. head that, like, he just can't... He's probably just, like, emotionally exhausted trudging through every day, right? I'm sure that he is, but, like, honestly, that characterization just makes him feel, like, just, like, super conflict-avoided and, like, kind of a wimp. Like, he's supposed to be their leader, and he's just like, eh, he really can't deal with, like... (laughs) No, I get it. What if she cries? Anyway, uh, 
I won't pick on him too much because actually I feel like this transition right out of that scene is one of the best lead-ins to what we get later because her mother is like, oh, what are you upset about? Well, yeah, um, she says, I don't like myself when I do that. When you do right. what, dear mother asks, sweeping into her seat. My hair, Susan said, without missing a beat. It's so old-fashioned to have it up like this, mother. I want it shingled. Yeah. Like, it's just this, like, this immediate cover. She is developing these survival strategies. I know. (laughs) And it's so intense because, like, she's talking about something so freaking important and just bearing it behind, like, oh, I'm a normal teenage girl. I just want to change my hairstyle to... And the popular one. And the mother's reaction is, Susan, mother said with a sigh, your hair is so beautiful. Don't spoil it. She doesn't even have control over her hairstyle. Yeah. Susan. Like, she's a eldest daughter in this family. Yeah. Like. It, like, emphasizes it so much because that's, and that's what comes in later. Right. Susan being like, I can't, I I can't walk alone at night. I can't. mm -hmm. She. Basically, she just ends, this ends with a rant Susan has about having no freedom. And honestly, the the portrayal of Susan leading into like the last battle stuff was cool enough already with that kind of like description of like, this is her survival strategy is to is to forget about as much as possible because that's what she has to do to keep on living. Mm-hmm. But then later on, yeah, there's that great last dialogue between Lucy and Susan kind of like at bedtime, right? Mm-hmm. Or I, I guess it's still, yeah, I guess it's still nighttime. Yeah, there, right? yeah, they, they, yeah, they finished dinner and they went up to bed. Do you want to read it from there, like even if it hurts, maybe or something? Yeah, it's a, it's a long section, but it's that's like the from there to the entire rest of the fanfic. I feel like it's worth reading. It is, yeah, yes. Yeah, so they went to bed, and Lucy and Susan share a bedroom. Mm-hmm. So even if it hurts, it's better than forgetting who we were. She said, her voice muffled by her pillow. It's Lucy. I don't know. Susan stared up at the ceiling, though it was too dark to see. It's harder for me than it is for you, Lucy. You didn't. You haven't. I was just as much an adult as you were, Lucy said fiercely. Susan could imagine her. Golden hair spread out over the pillow like, well, like a lion's mane. Yes, you were, she said in a low voice. From Lucy's expulsion of breath, Susan knew that she counted this a victory, but Lucy had her whole life to live over again, if needs be, knowing that she could be passionate and powerful and all the things Susan had so admired in her the first time around. Lucy, this young, had no idea of what she could or couldn't do, because no one had said no to Queen Lucy the Valiant, and no one would say no to the baby of the family either to the responsible one, to Susan. Don't do that. You'll set a bad example. All the time, she thought. And here, one could never go riding alone, never wander the streets of a city after midnight, never. If one was born captive, she reasoned, it was best to forget the taste of freedom. It was not the sort of thing she could explain to Lucy, even if she had the words. On the other side of the room, Lucy sighed. Susan wanted to comfort her again but she knew now that it would be of no use. The only thing any of them could do was wait until morning and resurrection. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean... That's like a lot in so few words. And like saying 
saying poor Susan is easy as a reader of Narnia or a fan of Narnia, but kind of like shaking it out down to that level and kind of working through the various layers of things that are happening mentally, emotionally, and socially in the 1950s. Right. Is like riding alone, walking after midnight. Like that stuff stood out to me so hard because like, well, that's still a thing. That's still a thing for for women. Yeah, sure. Like, um, but like even more so, of course. She is so restricted and the whole like I'd rather forget about my taste of freedom is just ugh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. And like, so after all that, you're like, okay, that explains why Susan and Susan specifically puts mm-hmm. Narnia behind her in a way that the other three maybe don't. I mean, like you said, who knows anything about Peter? Like, Peter's kind of a, you know... Yeah, even in this, he's just... In, 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 yeah. this, in this story, like, we, we don't really know Peter's stance here, but, like, at least compared to Edmund and Lucy. Yeah. Why it would be her that, um, that tries to leave Narnia behind know, her. but it's just so sad. But, like, you're right, and I, I guess I didn't really think of it from that context either, because I try to forget that suit that gets whole, left behind in the first horrible place. yeah misogynistic <laughs> part but this is the best justification is she gives up faith and she gives up hope mm-hmm. because of her circumstances because she's in the worst position of any of them mm-hmm. um and comparatively like she says like lucy has more options she has more opportunity that might not be physically or actually true in the world they live in. at the very least, Susan explains why mentally it feels that way to her and it feels that way to Lucy, but Lucy doesn't feel the same, like, the same being trapped by social stuff that that she, Susan, does. Lucy's not old enough to have that experience. Susan, having had that experience, is like, she's really let down by the world. And it's also such a common thing for the oldest female child to be shoved into the, like, nurturing, caretaking, responsible Mm -hmm. role absolutely Um, all the time like that's so many people's experience yeah the responsible one she's the responsible yeah no even more than peter because peter i'm sure is expected to be responsible but he's not expected to be responsible for the others in the same way that susan surely is no yeah no like that was like that was like a knife in my heart like i felt that Mm -hmm. it's so it's so common i mean it's common it's my experience like it's everybody i don't know I would be hard pressed, I think, to find someone who was, you know, raised to be the, yeah, the oldest girl and not with siblings and not have had it in some way to take on a caretaker role. Right. Even now. And disproportionately, if there's other, you know, older siblings in the mix, mm-hmm. in the mix or whatever. Whew. Yeah. <laughs> Gotta breathe after that one. Yeah. But that is the story. Um, it's not long. I fully recommend it if you are a Narnia fan or a person who read Narnia back in the day, even if you aren't don't describe yourself as a fan. I really liked it. I thought it was very good. Yeah. Like it it only took my e-reader like eight minutes to read it to me. I'm so, gonna leave a kudos yeah. for a thousand win a thousand wins. Yes. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna leave a kudos for the author right now using the official fanfic retrospective um account for AO3. Done. Also, a thousand wins is a great name. (laughs) A thousand wins is good. Still not as good as Google Brat. (laughs) Different sorts of good, I would argue. But 
despite lavishing our praise on this, I guess we're going to keep it a short episode. Mm-hmm. And so, what about this story did you not like as much or think could have been improved? Kind of a hard one for me because it is so short. And I think we struggle with this when something is done concisely and well. But I mean, I think the obvious one is I, I would have liked it to be a little longer. I wanted a little extrapolation, especially because the ending is like, like literally just read the ending. But it doesn't feel like they wait in the morning for resurrection. But I'm not sure what that means. Like, I understand kind of the metaphorical resonance they're going for with the, mm-hmm. you know, kind of Aslan religious theming. And it's just like, what is the resurrection that's going to happen? Like, nothing was resolved. So, And no one is even, I mean, Lucy is saying, like, I wish Aslan would just take us back. But no right. one's really expecting that or, like, necessarily say that they're waiting for it either mm-hmm. so i mean maybe just the resurrection of the morning you know as opposed to, to yeah. contrast the resurrection of them being back in their child selves or whatever absolutely but i think it might be the wrong word um in such a short story all the word choices matter and all they can do is wait for the morning and resurrection it just doesn't again doesn't seem to fit with any of the theming like nothing has changed we don't expect anything to change when the sun rises mm-hmm. um yeah, I just would have liked the ending to be thematically consistent and like communicate something about. I mean, I don't know. This is hard too because it's like <laughs> I want, I just want the characters to be okay and they're not. And that's <laughs> the point of the story is that they're not. But again, the resurrection piece. Don't I worry. Like Most of them will die a in a bit. train crash. It's a happy ending. Right. That they'll be resurrected. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that was the point. I don't know. Um, but no, I'm with you. I, I guess because we were talking about it, I would have liked a little bit more for Peter. And I I don't say this is a major complaint, just that having read this fanfic, I'm so pleased with the author's ability to give some insightful characterization about these characters in very dense ways. And we get a couple hints of Peter. But it makes me think that probably with the right two sentences, this author could have like just fleshed out Peter's perspective really quickly and moved on and not had it not have to like get bogged down in it or anything. That's true. But like, uh, I'm so impressed with the author. I'm like, oh, couldn't you also do your magic? Like just like while you're passing by, like sprinkle some a little bit more of that dust on Peter just for my, you know, sense of completion's sake. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that, too. Because it's like, I don't know. I, again, I, I I think maybe they did. I don't remember the books well enough. Maybe they just didn't have a lot to work off that, of. That might, but, might, the author was literally like, I don't have any ideas about Peter's inner they life. they still could have done. It's so, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know. So not a major criticism. I mean, generally speaking, it's totally fine to be like, this story is about these characters. This story is not about these other things. Mm-hmm. That's a great... It's great right, to know that but, when you're writing a story. But since there's four children and three of them get very significant time here. Exactly. Yeah. It does feel like something's really missing from the Peter storyline. Well, especially because um, the other characters talk about him, but you right. don't hear a lot from his perspective. Mm-hmm. But then what do you want to praise most about this fanfic? Man, there's I think there's a lot to praise here. Um, again, I'm always just impressed when someone can write something so communicative in so few words. Mm-hmm. 
But I think beyond that, um, there's so much beautiful language. And we read a lot of it, so I don't think I need to deep dive into that. But I, I do want to like make sure I give the author their props for just writing so... The characters are well-characterized. I mean, maybe Peter is too. I, it doesn't matter. The ones that are characterized are well-characterized. And there's those little moments, like we brought up like that moment at the table where like Susan's having that, at the dinner table, she's having that whole emotional moment. Her mother's just like, what, dear? And she's like, oh, my hair. Right. And then like you pointed out, Amato, she doesn't even have control over her hair. Like that was <laughs> so few words to communicate so much, like layers yeah. and layers and layers. And that just... That's just keeps going throughout the whole fanfic. Like it's so short and it tells you so much. And that's just amazing and impressive. And again, very beautiful moments of language. Yeah. I I think that's great talking about the writing in general. I think it's very strong also. And that also it seems to fit fairly well with the Narnia kind of, you know, writing yes, style. Yeah. Not that it's like C.S. Lewis pastiche, but like it's not anachronistic. It's not like, you know. I, I I think it feels good as a Narnia story also. And I guess I'll just repeat that my favorite thing is the characterization of Susan. And I really enjoy, Tori, that like the author lets you build up some of these things about Susan and Lucy, um, kind of seeing them and hearing their dialogue before kind of laying that like really powerful last like inner monologue stuff of Susan's on at the end, which if the if someone was just saying that as internal monologue, it would not be as effective. But if it's like layered on top of things, dynamics that we've already seen at play right. through what's been going on earlier in the story, like with that incident with the mother or like, you know, kind of through the dialogue of the children earlier on, I just thought it was very effective. It is. And you know, that that also made me think that there's this kind of interesting thing where like we're all on Lucy's side to start with. <laughs> and then at the end, we're like, oh my God, poor Susan. Right. So there's this nice, kind of movement through with uh, Edmund just kind of being a vehicle to move through the tension of the two relationships. And there is also, of course, I mean. you know, as someone who's read the Narnia books, you know, Peter and Edmund and Lucy will go back to Narnia. Susan will not. And we know that from square one of the story. But then I'm not necessarily thinking about that no, until yeah. the end of the story. Because it's so, the pain is so immediate of the characters you know, in yeah, this time, yeah. in this place. Well, and I, I really also appreciate that you pointed that out because I, I wasn't thinking that, I wasn't thinking about that at all. Mm -hmm. um, but that this is one of the best possible solutions for right. why Susan doesn't go back. All right. Anything else we want to say or should we wrap up our short episode for a short fanfic? Well, I last bit is that I also appreciate that this actually gives Susan agency. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it feels like it's her choice not to go back to Narnia because yeah. she doesn't want the false hope. She so. has her reasons. She has her reasons. Yeah, and she's yeah, she's kind of deliberately doing this instead of just sort of like accidentally falling out yeah. of it w because it's hard to it's hard Maybe to relate that's... to how you accidentally fall out of growing <laughs> up as a queen in a fantasy world, right? Like where you're just like, eh, I'll, whatever, I'll I'll focus on my hair now or whatever. But yeah, it's like a good contrast for the fic because she doesn't feel like she has any agency in her world, but she does have a choice over this. So yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I just thought of it. But yeah, no, we can wrap up. This was, uh, I really like this one. Oh, good. Me too. And that's always, you know, I'm always hoping that every fanfic I choose for us to read 
because we have some reason to think that it's good. I want it to be good and for us to be like, ah, yeah, this fanfic's so great. Yeah. So it's it nice is, when it's, that works out. It's really satisfying. <laughs> then this was episode 152 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Cry for Yesterday, a Chronicles of Narnia fanfic written by A Thousand Winds or Google Brat for Yuletide 2007. You can find a link to the AO3 copy, which is the copy that one reads. It apparently was hosted somewhere else. They, apparently, they used to be like a Yuletide-specific website. I'm not, oh. I think they just do it on AO3 now. But like the link that I followed went to that Yuletide website, which automatically redirected me to the AO3 copy. Oh, man. I would like to see this Yuletide website, but apparently it's not. Well, it, look, AO3 is also good for this kind of organization. You can just mm. click on the Yuletide 2007 collection and you'll see every story written for it. Oh, that's and awesome. you can do that, you know, year by year. The more you know. So it's not like you're in grad school or anything, right? Like you probably just have time to read, you know, 200 stories per year or whatever. 2000? What did? They said 2000. 2000. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, well, I guess if they're all this short. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's part of the thing. Anyway. The intro song for the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Rose, who is currently busy in rehearsals for a community theater that we're going to be going to see towards the end of the month. Uh, she's performing right now. I'm oh, sure. that's right. Yeah. I guess they've started. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, you're right. It was like April 1st was the... They started on Friday. Oh, okay. There you go. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, thoughts, or um, theological questions about Catholicism, <laughs> you can contact us on Twitter at retrofanfic, Facebook at retrofanfic, or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Oh, by the way, I'd like to say we are... Not only are we unqualified to talk Catholic theology, we're unqualified to talk any religion theology. So you can just shoot any question at us and we'll be just as good. It'll be fun, you yeah. know, shits and giggles. What is God? Uh, non-existent. A lion. Answered your question. No. Oh, a lion. A non-existent lion. Okay. Right. That's the best answer. Questions answered. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. We're just two children of Aslan trying to be nice to each other. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye now. Bye. -bye now.